morning, Oaks. Great to be back with you today. We've been very excited about coming back and sharing a little bit of the ministry that God has uh, called us and led us to do in partnership uh, with churches like yours. And uh, we're so thankful for not only the work you do, but we're thankful for uh, the ability that we've had to have a team this year uh, from the Oaks. We had a great time uh, this past summer with your group that was with us in Africa. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think you guys sent us maybe some of your notorious members. I, I don't know. You know, they were, they were quite a group, but we had a great time, and God was good, and uh, it's so wonderful to be here today to share uh, some of that ministry with you. I just want to update you a little bit on some of the works that you guys have been involved in in some of the areas where you guys have shared with us, and I just want to briefly uh, show you and talk about some of those this morning for just a moment. One of the places we minister is, this, uh, is the Kibera Slum of Nairobi, Kenya, one of the largest, most notorious slums in the world. One million people or more live in one square mile. Uh, this is some of the facility updates that we have. We have a, a brand new uh, school dining hall and a great new medical facility in Biashara building. These, uh, uh, this was a horrible slum school five years ago, but it's quickly becoming a first-class facility because of great partners like you, and we're so thankful for that. Uh, another project the pastor just mentioned was our uh, Biashara Ladies Ministry Project. My wife Karen is going to come and share a little bit with you this morning about Project Biashara and the difference we're making around the world. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having us back once again. As Pastor He said, we really feel like we're a part of your church. We just love you so much. And we just thank you so much for your partnership with us in New Hope Initiative, and especially in Kenya and Tanzania. Project Biashara, as many of you probably know of the project, but maybe you don't. Biashara is a Swahili word for business. Business isn't a very glamorous word, but we liked Biashara. It sounded pretty. And so we decided to call the project Project Biashara. Easy for American women and men to say. And what it is, is it's about 70 women at this point. We'd love to increase our numbers, but we want to get these women to a sustainability in their income before we add more. Our project was started five years ago with 35 women. And I can tell you that other than the two women that the Lord home, all of those women are still with us. And what that tells you is that this is their source of income. This is it for them. And they are faithful to their jobs. The most important thing we do in Project Biashara is that we teach them the Word of God and want to make sure and be confident that every woman knows the Lord is her Savior, that she lives a life of integrity, that she is a testimony in her community and a leader in her family. But then after that, these women have no way to feed themselves, to provide medical for their children, to send their children to school. The average wage for a person in the slum of Kibera is a dollar a day. And if you're doing hard labor, it's $2 a day. And so you can see how difficult their lives are when their rent might be 35 or $40 a month just for their rent on their hut. So just to give you an idea of what these ladies have to go through and the majority of our women are either widowed or they don't have a man in the house, and they may have an average of seven children uh, for each woman. And so their lives are very, very difficult. We average from ages 92 to 18. So we have a big, big range in the ages of our women. Um, Paulina Muthoni is our 92-year-old. Love her. you got to come over to Africa and watch her dance because it really would be worth your trip over. But Paulina, as she gets older, as a Kenyan woman, her responsibility increases. 
because not only does she have her children, their children, their children, and even though they may be trying to work, all of them are in the same position of trying to survive. And so you can see the responsibility that a woman in Kibera has. She is she is the matriarch of the family, but she's also sort of the patriarch because there usually isn't a man around to represent or support the family. That's why the project is just such a beautiful thing, and it's just a God thing, and God has his hand on it. There's no way we could do it if his hand wasn't on it, but because he's called it, called us to it as, as a partnership in the United States, we have many people that come with us and gather to help this project. And so when you see the merchandise out on the table, it really is there for such a wonderful God reason. Everything that you buy, every bit of it goes to these women to help their salaries, to buy them food, and to pay their rent so they can have medicine for their children. So I just want to say thank you again. We pray for you. We think of you often. We look forward to having you back with us. And, and my, mine and Sandy's prayer is that God's richest, richest blessings would be upon this church because of your love for missions and your call, not just in your community but around the world. Thank you so, so much for what you do with New Hope Initiative. God bless you. <clears throat> Thank you, Karen. Just five hours south of Nairobi, Kenya, in a town called Arusha, Tanzania, we have a medical uh, center, which has become our largest, probably, volume work. It, it's been so much more than we ever dreamed it could be possible. This year, we will see close to 27,000 patients at this clinic. And one of the awesome things that we had no idea when we started this clinic, but about 70% of the people that come to our clinic are, are from a Muslim background. And the cool thing about that is that most of these, probably 100% of those that come that are Muslim would never attend a church service. They would probably never go to just a regular service, but we have a chance to show them the, the love and the example of Christ in these services, and we really appreciate the opportunity to minister uh, to that community, and God is using it in a great way. We also use our medical clinic in outreach. This summer, we had some visiting nursing students from the states that came, and we were able to go out and take all of our clinic, local staff, our visitors, some support staff, took over 100 people out to remote villages. The night before, we gathered the village together and we showed the Jesus video and the local dialect of Maasai that they speak, had great services with scores of people coming to faith, and then the next day, we saw 700 patients in our mobile clinic in these villages where there's little or no access uh, to medical care, and so it's another extension and offshoot of, uh, of our medical clinic and the ministry there, another ministry that you guys have been very specially involved in. There are many in your church that help support students in our Cabarrus school, in that slum in Nairobi. Uh, many of you are personally involved in supporting one of these children. And I just want to report to you guys and let you know that this is such an incredible investment in the lives uh, of these children and young people. You guys are having an amazing, making an amazing difference. And this year, we restructured the school a bit, and uh, we've uh, improved the academics, we've improved the discipline, we've improved the spiritual growth of these kids, and I want you guys to know that those of you that monthly support these children, that you are making an incredible impact in their lives. And I just hope one day you can come and see them and meet them and find out that you are rescuing these children from lives of hopelessness because you guys care. And I want to thank you, uh, the Oaks, for your investment in these children and the incredible difference that you are making. Today, as the pastor told you, we're talking about missions, and I want to talk to you a few moments about a reluctant missionary in the Bible, a reluctant missionary uh, in the Bible. Before we do that, though, I want to start off with a, a, a verse that you probably are familiar with, but this is from Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, 
where it says this. It says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, what we have here is a biblical mandate. Sometimes we call it the Great Commission. It, 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 there's no uh, uh, way to misunderstand this passage, is there? I mean, God is very clearly saying that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ have been called to be messengers of His around the world. There is no exclusions here. There are no qualifiers. There is no one that is left out. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Christ, you have been called to be a missionary. My wife and I, we have a special blessing. We're what people often call vocational missionaries, all right? And we have a unique position in that we don't minister just in one location. We get to minister around the world. I have some pictures here of special needs orphanage uh, outside Hyderabad, India, where we minister. Um, the Kabera slum that I just mentioned, one of the largest, uh, most infamous slums in the world. Uh, Sierra Leone and West Africa have been much in the news lately because of Ebola. We'll talk about that a little bit more in depth in just a moment. Um, there in the clinic that we told you about in Tanzania. This year also we're beginning new ministries in Nicaragua and Ethiopia. And so we have this incredible blessing of ministering for the cause of Christ around the world. But folks, I think there is a very common misconception among Christians, all right? And that misconception is this, that somehow my wife and I, we are the missionaries, right? And you guys that are sitting out there in the audience this morning, you guys are the church members, and there's some kind of a difference between us in, in our lives, all right? And can I tell you that that is not a biblical concept at all, all right? Now, we may be vocational missionaries, and I understand the distinction in that work. But the fact is, folks, if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to be a missionary, all right? There's no division between those of us who do it vocationally and those of you who are faithful members of the church. The Bible says we have all been given a commission. We have all been given a mandate. No one is excluded from the call to be a witness to the incredible life and ministry and salvation that Jesus Christ has to offer. Folks, the issue really today is not if you are a missionary or not, but how are you doing at this incredible task that God has called you to do because you have been called to be a missionary. Today I want to look at a reluctant missionary in the Bible and learn some powerful lessons from his life. We're going to study the life of Jonah. And one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, one of those that if you grew up around a church, you've heard it all your life. But you know what, folks? I think most of the time we don't know the full story of Jonah. All right, because the story of Jonah, you know, most of us kind of have the summary of Jonah. Jonah gets called, Jonah disobeys, Jonah repents and goes and does what God has called him to do. End of story, right? But that's not really the whole story of the book of Jonah. The story of Jonah has a very dark side, but there are some powerful lessons for us to learn as we look at the life of this very reluctant missionary. We're going to see four reasons why this morning Jonah was a reluctant missionary. And the first one is this. Jonah was a reluctant missionary because he was a prejudiced individual. He was a prejudiced individual. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1. It says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Folks, this is very straightforward, isn't it? 
This is unequivocal. There is no way that Jonah could have misunderstood. In fact, this was an audible voice that came from God to Jonah. And, and God said, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to that city. All right, Jonah was very certain of the message that God had brought him that day. But folks, look at what happened. It said, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction in order to get away from the Lord. This was willful and direct disobedience on the part of Jonah. All right, God said, Jonah, I want you to go right. And Jonah said, God, I think I'm going to go left. All right? And there's no doubt here that Jonah misunderstood. Jonah knew exactly what he was doing as Jonah tried to run away from God's command on his life. But folks, I want to tell you, the, the first reason why Jonah did this was because he was a prejudiced person. You say, how do you know that? Well, look later on in the book. We're going to come back to this verse later on. But look at chapter number 4. Jonah tells us specifically, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? God spares the people of Nineveh, and Jonah's not happy about it, all right? He said, God, I knew you would do this. That is why I ran away to Tarsus. In other words, let me give you a little cultural lesson just a moment, all right? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at that time. The Assyrians were the brutal conquerors of the world. Their powerful armies had swept across most of the known world, crushing any opposition. They had come across Israel and Judah. They had been barbaric. They had been difficult. And Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. All right? That's the number one reason he didn't go. He told us that's the reason he didn't go. All right? He didn't want God to have mercy on them and spare them. Jonah had a deep-seated prejudice in his heart against the people of Nineveh. Prejudice comes in many forms, and it's very pervasive in our lives and culture. And folks, one of the things that we have to see that, that if we're going to overcome this reluctance to be the kind of missionaries that God wants us to be, whether it's here in the Metroplex or around the world, we must deal with these prejudices in our life, whether they're racial prejudices or, or economic or nationalistic or spiritual, whatever form we might find it in, folks, we have to learn to overcome that if we're going to be the spokesman uh, for that Christ wants us uh, to be. You know, it's still true in our, our, our country, I think. There are churches that would willingly and happily send a missionary to Africa, but not welcome people of color into their own congregation. That still exists, folks. There are people, churches in our world, who would gladly send a missionary to Latin America, but they would be very reluctant to minister to the immigrant population in their own communities. One that even is closer to home, possibly, is that there's, there, there are churches around this country who would welcomely support Karen and I as we minister to the poor and disadvantaged around the world. But if someone comes to their, to their own church who is economically disadvantaged, they are less welcoming to them. And these things, folks, they happen. It's, it's a part of, hum, uh, of human nature, isn't it? But it's something that we have to deal with in our lives if we're going to reach people the way that God has called us to reach people. One of the things about missions and one of the forefront uh, thoughts of missions is that missions is about loving people that are different than us. Putting aside that stereotypical way of thinking and loving people around the world. That's one of the things I love about the Oaks because you've got some diversity in your congregation here and, and it, it's a wonderful thing to see. But, you know, it's an issue that we always have to deal with in our personal lives and always have to remember, God, am I willing to reach out to people that are different from myself? That was Jonah's first problem. Jonah was prejudiced. He was unwilling to reach the people of the city of Nineveh. 
All right, let's go on a little bit now in the story as it, as it moves along uh, to the part that you're probably more familiar with. It. But as the ship was sailing along, suddenly the Lord flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened uh, to, to sink them and to send them uh, to the bottom. All right, now one thing you know, folks, you can run from God but you can never hide from God, all right? Jonah thinks, I'm going to get away from God. I'm going to go the opposite direction, but it didn't take very long for God to find him, did it? And look what happens in the next verse, all right? Then the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. Now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. Now, folks, let's let's be honest here with the text, all right? This is the part of the story where some people have a problem, right? They read that part of the story and they say, you know, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, how could a fish swallow a man? And how could a, a person live inside a fish for three days and three nights? But folks, I want to tell you, I don't really think that this is a problem at all. All right? Because listen, if you believe in a creator God, right? If you believe in a God that created the world, it is a very small thing for the, a creator God to make a fish that can swallow a man. All right, that's a simple thing for God to do if he created the world and created all life as we know it, all right? And I think that I even know the name of this fish, all right? You know what kind of fish it was? It was a Jonah swallowing fish, all right? I think God specifically made this fish to swallow Jonah to teach him an incredible lesson and, 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 and then to teach us this lesson as well, all right? So now the story continues. Jonah swallowed by this fish, and we're going to see his second problem. Not only was Jonah uh, prejudiced, He was also insincere. Look at this next verse. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. Hey, why do you think Jonah began to pray? Has Jonah's heart changed? No, you're going to read the story. Jonah's heart hadn't changed. But did Jonah find a newfound love for the people of Nineveh? Not a chance, all right? Jonah prayed from the belly of that fish because he was in serious trouble. All right? That's why Jonah began to pray. His motivation really wasn't right. But before we cast too many uh, stones at Jonah, let's remember that, that sometimes we're that way too, aren't we? Sometimes our prayer life gets a little shallow. Sometimes our prayer life gets a little weak. But as soon as there's a problem, as soon as there's a difficulty, as soon as there's a challenge in our life, oh, how fervent our prayers become. That's a little bit where Jonah was, all right? Jonah began to pray, not that he cared anymore for the people of Nineveh, but Jonah desperately wanted out of the belly of that fish. And you know what? I think that really brings us to this idea of motivation, doesn't it? The idea of motivation. Why do we do the things that we do? As Christians, I mean, why are you here today, right? Why do you attend church on Sunday morning? Why do you serve in some capacity in this congregation? Why do you give of your resources to make a difference here in the Metroplex and around the world? The fact is, it's important that we ask ourselves those foundational questions. What is the motivation behind what I do? Let me explain it this way, all right? And I'm, I'm going to have to tell on myself for just a moment, all right? I hate to tell on myself, but I, I, sometimes you've got to be authentic and honest, right? All right, now, I'm going to ask this question. I think I know the answer to it already because I'm looking at your congregation. But we have anybody here that's uh, from Indian descent, all right? Anyone here, all right? We have one gentleman here, all right? And that's kind of what I expected from that. I've got to tell you, I'm going to apologize to you before I say this, all right? India is just not my favorite place to travel. I'm sorry. I want it to be. I would wish it was, but I just, I don't know. I just, it's, you know, I've been to like 66 countries around the world, right? 
And, and India is not on my bottom, but it's not on my top either. And I don't know why. Everybody has personal taste, right? And it, for me, it just is not my, my favorite. Maybe it's the part of India I go to. It's just not my favorite spot, all right? And this is even worse, though, all right? Now I'm really going to make myself look bad, but I'm going to be honest with you, all right? I go to India for this special needs orphanage that we operate. We have special needs children, 22 uh, uh, challenged children that, that we minister to here and make such a difference in their life. But I struggle with special needs children, all right? Aren't I a horrible person? I, I feel so bad about it, but I just don't know what to do. I, I love them, and I, we, I'm supporting them in this ministry, and I want to go be a part. You know, and I take, my, I, I take people along with me, and they just jump in there, and they're doing great. And I'm just kind of standing on the side thinking, I don't know what to do next. What do I do next? I, I just, it, it's just not probably my best type of ministry, all right? But I had a pastor from a, a church in Houston called Sagemont Church, and he was asking me. I was trying to drum up some support for this uh, orphanage, right? And so he was asking me, all right? He said, what is the strategic importance of this orphanage? And I'm thinking, uh, there's none, right? There's absolutely no strategic importance. There's 22 special needs kids. I mean, some of these kids aren't even going to live to be adults. Some, most of them, you know, I don't know what we're going to do with them one day, you know? I mean, we got a, a lady here that's a special needs. She's 22, but she can't take care of herself. So I guess one day it's going to become a uh, special needs old folks home. I don't know what we're going to do with her. There's no exit strategy with these kids. Somebody's got to take care of them. But he asked me, what's the strategic importance? And I said, there's none. And he said, well, why do you support it? And folks, this is the answer. Because it's the right thing to do. The Bible says that when you care for widows and orphans and they're distressed, you have done a great deed. All right? The Bible says we are commanded to care for those that are less fortunate than us. And the bottom line is sometimes our motivation has to be, listen, this is the right thing to do. And so I regularly go to this little place in India, not because it's my favorite place in the world to go to, but because it's the right thing to do. And folks, for you as an individual and for your congregation corporately to be involved in missions is the right thing to do. It's a sincere thing. It's the genuine thing. It's the thing that God has called us to in our lives. And folks, your personal mo- mission motivation is everything that Jesus has done for you. You say, why should I care? Well, listen, if you're here today, God has saved you. God has forgiven you. God has given you a home in heaven. He's given you a future and a hope. He's allowed you to be blessed to live in this incredible country, in this incredible time, with all these incredible advantages in the world. You have been given so many blessings in your life, folks. It's the least we can do to care about others and to reach out to those around the world. Folks, that's Jonah's story, right? I mean, Jonah, first of all, Jonah was prejudiced, all right? Secondly, Jonah was insincere. He prayed, but he didn't really mean it. And let's go on now as the story continues. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. All right, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time and said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message of judgment I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed. You know, folks, I tell you, Jonah's life was a mess, but Jonah's not stupid, right? This time Jonah gets out of the fish and he says, hey, I I think maybe I'll go to Nineveh. That's the right place for me to go. So Jonah hightails it to Nineveh in the direction uh, that God has called him uh, to go to in his life, all right? And look at what happens. This is an amazing thing. When God, or the people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least, they did decide to go without food and to wear sackcloth to show their sorrow. Church, do do you understand what happened here, all right? 
Even though Jonah was so reluctant, it's one of the greatest revivals in recorded history. The entire city of Nineveh comes to God. It says from the greatest, from the king down to the beggar on the street, the entire community repented and came to God. You know, first of all, what that tells us? It tells us it's not about the messenger, but it's about the power of the message and the power of God. It's the sovereignty of God, folks. You and I, sometimes we excuse ourselves by saying, oh, I don't know how good I would be at that ministry. Can I tell you, it's not about you. All right, it's about God. God is strong enough and powerful enough. Jonah was a a wreck, honestly, in his life, but God saved the whole city, despite Jonah's reluctance. And so the fact is, it's about God and what God can do. And this incredible uh, miracle takes place. The entire city comes to God. You know, if Jonah was alive today, he would be like a Christian superstar, right? He'd have his own seminars and fill up stadiums and write the purpose-driven revival and whatever. I mean, he would be just like this mega Christian superstar today. But look at the next part of the story, all right? When God saw that they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had mercy on them and didn't carry out the destruction he had planned. And this is, this is where it gets really ugly, all right? This is probably the part maybe you missed in the Sunday school story of Jonah, all right? This change-up plans upset Jonah, and he became very angry. What changed your plans? What made Jonah mad? Jonah's mad because he wanted God to destroy the city of Nineveh. All right? It's pretty ugly, but that's the truth. All right? God, Jonah wanted them to be destroyed, and now he's mad at God for sparing them. In, in reality, this is just the bare truth. Jonah wanted them to die and go to hell. He, that's what Jonah wanted for the people of Nineveh because he hated them so much. And yet God spares them. And look at Jonah's complaint now, all right? This is why, this is Jonah speaking now. This is why I ran away to Tarsus. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now, folks, that is Jonah's complaint against God, all right? God, I'm mad at you because you are gracious and compassionate. You're slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. And I got to tell you, if I was God... That would have been the end of Jonah right there, right? I'd have just taken him out, man. I'd have just said, bam, all right, you're done. I mean, Jonah, how, how horrible can you be? How unloving, how uncompassionate could you be? And, folks, that's Jonah's third problem. He's prejudiced. He's insincere. He's uncompassionate. He doesn't care about people at all, folks. And one of the things, the heart of our mission motivation, you got to care for people, don't you? If we're going to reach out in our own communities or around the world, you just have to care about people. You have to see beyond yourselves. You have to see a world of people, a community of people beyond your own little four walls that have needs and have, have desires and have, have hurts that you can meet in the name of Christ. I want to tell you this little story real quickly about, uh, about Ebola. It's been such a news. Dallas Ground Zero, right? Some things you've been known for over the years. This is probably not one of the things you want to be known for. Uh, but you know what the, what the danger is here? All right, because it was, you know, our news media has this incredible focus. So that's all they talk about for day after day after day. But then when the problem goes away here locally, you won't hear about it again, right? I mean, it's already stopped, right? Our attention span as Americans is about 10 seconds long these days, all right? And so you probably won't hear this story anymore. But, you know, um, my wife and I have an orphanage in Sierra Leone, West Africa with 72 precious children. And folks, this is ground zero. These people are still struggling so much. I mean, what's happening there is, for one, they're having trouble getting control of the, the, the virus there, for one. But beyond that, you know, the farmers have quit farming because they don't want to 
go to the city to sell their produce. They're afraid of getting Ebola, so they've quit farming. The people have quit going to work. We, we couldn't get money wired to the, to the orphans because nobody was at the banks to even accept the money. The pastor tried to go to the, um, to the capital city last week to get supplies. He got stopped 14 times and had his temperature taken. It's about a six-hour trip. After 24 hours, he just went, went back home. He couldn't get there. I mean, I, we don't know what's going to happen to these kids. I mean, literally, I, I've been talking last week with somebody who had a connection at, at, uh, uh, at Samaritan's Purse or, or Compassion, but, but maybe we could take a, a helicopter and drop food to the orphans. I mean, we're beginning to wonder how desperate is this going to be, folks. And listen, we have to care, right? You have to have compassion. Just because our news media is not focusing on something anymore, you and I as believers have to look outside our four walls at a world that has needs and has hurts, and we have to have a heart of compassion and concern for them. Folks, that's what missions is about. It's about loving people. It's about having compassion in our lives and our hearts for those that are struggling. What was Jonah's problem? Jonah was prejudiced. Jonah was insincere. Jonah had no compassion in his life. And finally, number four, Jonah was very committed to his own comfort. Look at the story as it continues. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under, and he waited to see if anything would happen to the city. What was Jonah waiting to see would happen? Jonah was waiting to see if God would change his mind and destroy them anyway, right? I'm like, it's an ugly story. Jonah's really struggling here. And so Jonah's waiting here to see if God will change his mind. And then look at this next verse, all right? And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And it, soon it spread its, its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased some of his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Do you see something here? I mean, Jonah doesn't care if 120,000 people in Nineveh die and go to hell. He wants God to destroy them, and yet what makes Jonah happy? This plant that gives him some personal comfort in his life. But before we're too harsh on Jonah, folks, aren't we that way so often? We are very committed to our own personal comfort. How many people have said in their life, and I've said it, you said it, I don't want to be rich or poor, I just want to be comfortable, right? And, and folks, I understand because I always choose comfort myself, right? I gotta, I'll be honest with you, all right? If there's a comfortable option, I'll pick the comfortable one. I never go looking to be uncomfortable. I never go looking to, to you know, somehow uh, make life more difficult than it has to be. That, that's understandable. That's human, all right? But the fact is, folks, that so often we're committed to our own personal comfort that we fail to do the things that God has called us to do because it means stretching us from our comfort Sometimes it means going beyond where we're comfortable, going to to difficult things and difficult challenges. Look at what happens to Jonah. It said, but God also prepared a worm the next morning at dawn. The worm ate through the plant, so it soon died and withered away. All right, Jonah's life is going from worse to worse. And as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head, and he grew faint, and he wished to die. What's God doing? He's challenging Jonah's comfort zone, isn't he? He said, Jonah, it's not just about your comfort. Jonah, it's not just about you being easy in your life. Challenging your comfort zone is one of the things that God wants to do in your life. He wants to challenge you in this ministry. Maybe God has been speaking to you about doing something, about leading a ministry, about uh, being in charge of something, about serving in some capacity. And you said, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. Listen, God doesn't care if you're comfortable. God sometimes wants to stretch you in your life so that you will grow. In your personal giving, 
you know, I, I'm very convinced, all right, because I, I preach about missions all the time, but I'm very forget, convinced that most Americans give to where it doesn't really affect them too much, you know? Because we have excess income, a lot of Americans give to where it doesn't, just, just until it might hurt and then they stop, right? As long as we are comfortable, it's okay. But I think God wants to challenge us and say, listen, can you give beyond where you're comfortable? Can you give so the ministries of this church and the ministries of this community and the ministries around the world can grow and prosper because you care, because you are willing to be challenged and move beyond that comfort zone in your life? Even in your personal involvement, God oftentimes calls, calls us to go beyond where we're comfortable. I shared with you a moment ago about the, the medical center we operate in Arusha, Tanzania. And like I said, it's a huge ministry, 27,000 patients this year. It's a great ministry. And, and uh, I, we have a story here. Just after your team was there last summer, all right, and uh, I think it was the next week, uh, Dr. Biemba is uh, uh, our African doctor there, and he's an incredible man with incredible talents. And uh, the, the, the growth of, and the success of this clinic is, is greatly and almost exclusively due to his abilities. But there's a guy, a young man that had come to him several months ago that he had fallen when he was uh, like 12 years old. Now he was 18 or 19, and his head was misshapen. He'd had a skull fracture, and it, it, I, I had a, a scar tissue and an extra bone growing, and it was causing him headaches and some defects. The deformity in his life, and he'd come to Dr. Bim and he said, please, can you help me? And Dr. Bimbo was like, listen, this is, you know, this is a serious surgery here. You're talking about, you know, reshaping your skull, and Dr. Bimbo said, I, I don't have the tools here, and he said, I, you know, I just don't know if I can do this, so he sent him to Dar es Salaam, the capital of Tanzania, and the young man spent all of his money, everything he had. He could not find one doctor in the entire country that would work on him, so he came back to Dr. Bimbo. Doctor, he said, Dr. Bimbo, please, I'm begging you, help me, help me. And Dr. Biemba is a man of compassion, and he's willing to be stretched beyond his comfort zone. So he said, all right, I will help you. And he went to the hardware store, all right? He bought that hammer and that chisel that he's holding in his hand, all right? And he asked me if I wanted to come see the surgery. I, I politely declined because I didn't want to see this. But uh, he, I did see a little bit of a video of it. I kept looking away, but the sound enough was, was really tough to listen to this surgery, all right? But he took a hammer and chisel and reshaped this young man's skull. And this is what he told me. He said, I know you guys would think in the Western world that I'm barbaric. But he said, listen, this is the only tools I have. And this young man was in desperate situation. And he said, sometimes, this is what he said, sometimes you've got to be willing to be stretched. Now, folks, I love that. Because for ministry and for missions, sometimes you and I in our lives, we have to be willing to be stretched. We got to be willing for God to push us beyond where we're comfortable. God to push us beyond where we've been in the past. As far as your personal involvement, we have a chance this year to push you a little bit. The Oaks is planning a return trip to Africa June 21st or 22nd to July 1st or 2nd. Um, I think those are the dates we'll be in Africa, but the 21st to the 2nd, 2015. I know for some of you, you think that that would be the furthest thing from my mind. I, I couldn't do that. But folks, can I tell you, it will be a life-changing experience for you. Talk to the ones that were part of last year's team. They will tell you how incredibly impacting this was. And I promise you it will be far easier than you think. Really, it will be far. I mean, we're going to take great care of you. It's going to be a great experience. And I just want to encourage you to pray, all right? I'm not asking you to commit, just to pray. Say, God, are you wanting me to stretch myself? Are you wanting me to step outside my comfort zone and to, to get another view of what missions is? And I know what some of you are saying, all right? There's a little word we just talked about a moment ago. What was that word? Ebola, right? Some of you are thinking, hey, what about Ebola? But folks, can you look at this map, all right? Look closely, all right? 
Kenya is on the far right, kind of bottom right-hand side, down below the Horn of Africa there. All right, Kenya is 3,500 miles away from the closest case of Ebola. All right, they've never even had one. In anywhere in East, all that area of East Africa has never even had one case. You have been far more at risk in Dallas, all right, than you will be at Kenya. All right, I'm just going to be honest, all right? You've been far closer to it than you would be there. So just put that out of your mind and say this. Listen, if God has called you to go, then answer that call, man. Stretch yourself. Go beyond your comfort zone. Church, what was, what was Jonah's problem? Well, Jonah was, he was prejudiced. He was insincere, he was uncompassionate, and he was too committed to his own comfort. And folks, there's some great lessons that we can learn about that uh, in our life. And one of the things, church, that we've got to know, that listen, missions is not about, about us, is it? It's not about what makes us happy or what makes us comfortable or what brings us joy. But missions is about stepping out by faith and realizing that you and I have all, we have all, every one of us been called to be a spokesman and to be a witness for the cause of Christ around the world. There is no one excluded from that commission. There is no one left out of that mandate. There is no one that God has said, listen, you get a pass. You don't have to be a witness. Folks, we have all been called to that incredible task. And I want to encourage you to to use the lessons that we've learned from Jonah to realize that God wants to use all of us to make a difference in our own communities and around the world. The story of Jonah, it's a wild story, isn't it? But listen, this, this is the whole point. God sums up the story here in the last verse of the book. He says in 411, he says, your community, everything that Jonah went through from the, you know, his disobedience to the fish, to the revival, to, to Jonah's complaints, this is the summary of the book. God says to Jonah, your community, or, or, or God says to, to Jonah that Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness Shouldn't I feel sorry for them? See, that's what God was teaching Jonah. But this morning, folks, I think this is what God is teaching us. Your community right here, this area in which you live, has scores of people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't God feel sorry for them? And then finally, I think for all of us today, as we think about missions, our world has billions of people living in spiritual darkness. And this is God's mandate to us today. God is speaking his heart to us. God is saying, listen, shouldn't I feel sorry for them. And by direct application, God is saying to us as a congregation today, listen, shouldn't you feel sorry for them? Shouldn't you have a heart of compassion? Shouldn't you care about a world apart from Christ? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your word today. We're thankful for this story of Jonah, how, how incredible the events of the story are, God. And yet, you gave us a story so that you might share with us your missionary heart. God, I pray that we would set aside the prejudice of Jonah, set aside the the lack of compassion, the insincerity in his life, God, and that we would allow ourselves to be stretched for the cause of the gospel and the cause of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.